0: Well, if you would take your Bibles, we have just a few minutes. I won't belabor the point, but we do need to see what God has to say. And so if you would take your Bibles and turn to James chapter 3. James chapter 3, the book of James was one of the first New Testament books written. And it serves really as a primer for those who are navigating the life of faith. That idea of faith and the ramifications of your faith are all through the book of James. It's considered the wisdom book of the New Testament. And so I trust it will be a blessing as we are once again in James chapter number 3. 35,000. 35,000. That is the number of choices that we make each and every day. Some of those choices are seemingly Small, insignificant, and almost automatic. Uh, Choices like, should I seek food or shelter? We don't really think or agonize about these choices. We just make the choice to pursue those things. Uh, Choices um, like that can sometimes, we, we often almost don't recognize that we're making those choices. But some choices are life changing. Choices like, who am I going to marry? And choices like, what career path should I seek? Or maybe the most important question that we will ever wrestle with and grapple with is, what am I going to do with Jesus? These kinds of questions, the, the, the important questions, often make us pause. We consider and maybe even bring, bring some measure of apprehension as we try to weigh some of those choices the reality is that whether you have a big choice or a small choice before you, each choice we make will manifest or will show forth the reason for that choice. And see, we have a thing called a worldview that motivates every one of our choices. And in that worldview, can I say, everyone wants to be considered a wise person. No one wants to be a fool, but the reality is that each and every man is a fool because of sin. We are sinners by nature. God's word makes it very clear. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? We are sinful. And think about this, we've rebelled against Almighty God. Now that in of itself is enough to condemn us as a fool. who in their right mind, would rebel against God, yet that's what we do by nature. But lest you believe that believers have figured it all out, think about this: Even believers at times wrestle to make foolish or wise choices. Even the Apostle Paul manifested this agony in Romans chapter seven and verse 18 and 19. He says... For I know that in me, that is my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. He continues in verse 19. For the good that I would, I do not. But the evil that which, uh, or that which I would not, that is what I do. And so the reality is all people struggle with this idea or the ramifications or the application of Wisdom. I've heard it said that knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit, but wisdom is knowing to not put that in a fruit salad. So you know something, but you have to then live it out, live your knowledge. And the question that I have for us today is, are we wise? Again, all people struggle with wisdom. And sometimes it it will manifest itself in broken lives and foolish paths. Think about it. Even the wisest person who ever lived, Solomon, still made foolish choices in relation to certain parts of his life that doomed his family but also the kingdom. So then I wonder, if the wisest person who ever lived struggled to be wise, how could we ever be wise? Or by extension, how do I know if I am being wise? Well, James chapter 3 asks a similar question. James chapter 3, we're going to look at verse 13. Verse 13 of James chapter 3 says, Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? He asks the million-dollar question. Who is a wise person? Here's the wonderful thing. He asks the question, but he doesn't just just stop there. He actually gives us the answer. And like those tests that we've all taken at times that teach us while we take it, that usually doesn't end well as far as your grade, but they can be beneficial because you learn as you are taking that test, it will reveal to us, this passage will reveal to us the answer uh, to the question, who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Can I say the bottom line is that you will manifest in daily life what kind of wisdom you are following. Because we're going to see in this passage there are two types of wisdom. There is an earthly wisdom, and then there is a heavenly wisdom. And often, maybe we would sit and not sure, not be sure, where we stand but what we can do as christ says by your by their fruit you shall know them we can do some examination of the fruit and so tonight i trust that we will examine our hearts and we will be able to see if the decisions that we are making are wise choices or foolish choices can i say as i watch the teenagers this week A lot of the decisions that needed to be made, needed to be made because of a previous decision that led them into a false, a foolish, or a hurtful path. And so it's so important that we are wise in our decision-making paradigm, or how we go about making decisions. And so again, verse 13 asks the question, who is wise Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? We need to understand that the life of faith will manifest wisdom in accordance to that faith. Verse 13 continues, and we need to first understand that for the believer, wisdom is expected. Again, we were foolish to rebel against God. A fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. But what about those who have accepted Christ? Where do we stand? Well, the book of James is written to believers. And yet the question is still in the book. Who is a wise man among you endued with knowledge? So the believer needs to understand that wisdom should be an outpouring of our knowledge of God. We also know that uh, the book of Proverbs says the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And so we know that knowledge of who God is and understanding who God is is a part of that wisdom. If you're here today and you're unsaved, though, you are still considered not wise to be in rebellion against God. But if you are a believer here, as most of us would probably claim, then where does wisdom come from? What is this wisdom thing all about? Well... Continue in verse 13. Who is a wise man and a dude with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. We need to understand that you will manifest what is happening in your life and in your heart through your external actions. They will be manifested. They will be proven. It's interesting. I remember uh, driving a school bus, and I remember... Uh, with, when you drive school bus, you have all of these mirrors, and the mirrors are there to protect you from all that's going on outside of the vehicle, but then as a, with a bus driver, you also have another wonderful mirror that's like really big that sits like right here in your peripheral vision, and that's there to protect you from what's going on inside the bus. And I remember that there were times that I would be able to drive and in my peripheral vision pick up something that was happening in the bus and I could stop, or not stop, but I could at least glance up and then I could address the issue. And I remember there was one time that I caught a kid doing something that was wrong and I said, to, I said his name very clearly and I said, you need to stop or you need to sit down. That is dangerous. And you know what his reaction was? I didn't do anything. It wasn't me. I didn't do it. And I said, well, can I say very, uh, very clearly, and, and so you understand, I saw you do it. <laughs> and that at that point, because I saw him act, it was manifested. Can I say, there are a lot of times in our life as believers, if we make a choice, again, we want to be wise, and we want to be considered wise. But when we start seeing the manifestations of our choice, the consequences of our choice, this is when it gets pretty easy to say, well, that was a wise choice or that was a foolish choice. And again, we, with children, we try to bring them to the understanding that your choices have consequences and the consequences are clearly seen and that is either wisdom or that is foolishness. And I think James is saying and echoing that as well. You will manifest what is happening in your external actions. You can fool some people some of the time, but you can't fool all the people all the time. And you certainly can't fool God any time. And so we need to understand for the believer, you will manifest what is happening in your heart. Christ makes this clear as well when he says that the heart There's a phrase in in biblical counseling, the heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. What is inside that is coming out, that is what you will see, and that's what reveals what is going on in your heart. And from that, then we are called to live, the end of verse 13, let him show or prove out of a good conversation or out of good action, out of a good proof, that they are walking in the meekness of wisdom. We are called to be wise, and that would manifest itself in the world around us. So we have this command, but we also need to understand, secondly now, that for the believer, we must now assess our choices. If it's true that what we, what we manifest is what's going on in our hearts, well, then we should be able to sit down and honestly, between us and God, take an assessment and have those times of checking in with God and checking uh, of our hearts. And again, that's a wonderful benefit of going to camp. You can have those times where you set aside all the distractions and it's just you and God. You don't have the music that blares in your ears you don't have the friends. Now, we, do, we did have friends up there, but even the friends, the time of friendship, there were times where they were not allowed to talk. It was God and I time, and it was quiet time, and it was just you and God. And the teens had opportunity to see who God was, to see who they were in relation, and to see what needed to be changed. And so, for the believer, we must assess our choices and really, there's going to be two avenues of, this, of, of wisdom, as I mentioned before. You're going to make your choices based off of either earthly wisdom, or you're going to make your choices off of heavenly wisdom. Each one of these things will manifest something in your life, and this, this passage bears that out. And so, we must assess our choices. What kind of choices are you making? And... What is the worldview or the wisdom that you are using to make those choices? Let's talk first about earthly wisdom. Verse 14 says, But if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. Can I say for the original audience of the book of James, it's very easy to understand why James would need to bring up bitter envying and strife. The original audience was uh, 12 tribes. If you look at ver- uh, chapter 1, verse 1, it's written to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. These would be believer, uh, Jewish believers who, during the, the diaspora, at that, that time in history, were, were kicked out of uh, Jerusalem, out of the surrounding countryside. And they were spread everywhere. That group of people who previously may have had prestige, land, power in jerusalem and the surrounding area were now refugees they lost everything and so one of the temptations for a person who's lost everything is to say i want everything back and if i can't have everything and he has everything well then i'm going to be jealous and i'm going to have envy and there's going to be strife And so James writes to this group and says, listen, if you have this going on, if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, don't glory and think you are more spiritual than you're not, and do not lie against the truth. He lays out very clearly that earthly wisdom will bring about bitter jealousy. There will be envious, contentious rivalry that will take place. There'll be selfish ambition. We can see this clearly in the business world, where it's you climb the ladder and it doesn't matter who you step on to get there. If the ends justify the means, then that's okay. You do what you gotta do. And again, this is the temptation for a group of people who've lost everything. They've gone through great difficulty. And the temptation is to say, I've gotta get it back and I've gotta figure out how to get it back. And so they're using earthly wisdom and it's bringing about bitter envy and jealousy, selfish ambitions. What else is true? Or what is the source of this bitter jealousy? Verse 15, This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. It is earthly. It is something that is base. It is unspiritual. On top of that, he says that it is sensual. In other words, it's sensual, like your senses driven. If it looks good, if it feels good, if, if I want it, that's what I'm going to go after. On top of that, it is demonic. How could that be demonic? Well, that idea, the, 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 the philosophy of earthly wisdom flies in the face of what God is trying to do in life, in this world. And so if you are all about yourself, I'm looking out for number one, that's me, then that is against God because God should be number one we should live for his glory that's why we were created and so for us if, or if we are struggling in uh, with bitter envying and um, strife in our hearts then that is an, an earthly an unspiritual it is a demonic wisdom what does it yield look at verse 16 for where envying and strife is there is confusion and every evil work. Have you ever looked at someone else and you can see it happening? You can see the seething anger. You can see the jealousy. You can see the envy that's taking place, and you watch as it totally dismantles that person. And then they begin to make choices that they wouldn't normally make because they are envious. The teens brought up the the uh, sermon on anger and bitterness. And Rondegard mentioned that when bitterness is in your heart, then you will begin to do things that you wouldn't normally do if bitterness wasn't there. Immorality, covetousness, strife. The passage lays out disorder. Every vile practice. That is what earthly wisdom yields. As you sow to the world, and you sow to the flesh, and you sow to the devil, this is what brings out disorder and every vile practice. What is the source of this? Earthly wisdom. Now, just very quickly, as a pastor, I've heard people say, Pastor Nate, I've prayed about it. I think I'm going to make this choice. And then they proceed down that path and I watch them, and they manifest some of these things, disorder and every vile practice, can I say in that case, I so wish they wouldn't have made that choice. And sometimes we can even cloak our choices in a spiritual covering when in reality we are living the earthly, sensual, demonic wisdom. That's a temptation for every single one of us. I know in my own heart, I know the deceitfulness of my heart, and I will sometimes even say, hey, I'm trying to be spiritual here. When in reality, I am living earthly wisdom. So just like all, we all learn in Sunday school, you reap what you sow. We must be careful to recognize the fruit of our choices. And if we're harboring bitter envying and we're living our life in, in disorder, then that is a clear indication that you are living in earthly wisdom. Can I say, if that's you, stop now and go back. Because here's the wonderful thing, if you are living in earthly wisdom, you can stop, you can repent, you can return, and God is gracious, and God is kind. And I would say, as you begin to do that, He will actually begin growing and and developing uh, and giving wisdom that is from above. So the first thing we need to look at is, were we looking at earthly wisdom? Are we living earthly wisdom, or are we living wisdom from above? What does wisdom from above look like? And I'm going to try to go very quickly. I I see time is is fast uh, getting away from me. But what are the attributes of heavenly wisdom? Look at verse 17. The wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. I don't know about you, but... Did you have any, as I was reading that, did you have any of those um, attributes that you were like, nah, I don't think I want that one? Or I'll pass on that one. No, every single one of us desires all of these things in our life. Everyone desires the attributes that are things like pure. And what does that word mean? That word pure means clean or free from fault. It's not adulterated or it's not mixed with anything else. It is pure. He also goes on and he says it's peaceable. That means that it is peace loving. Now that doesn't mean uh, peace becomes the goal, because that's not proper either. Wisdom is the chief thing, but what this is the idea is that it's not seeking strife. So it's pure, it's peaceable, it's also gentle. Gentle has the idea of being equitable, fair, mild. I loved going to my grandparents' house, and I loved sitting on my grandfather's lap. Why? Because he was a gentle man. Even though he was a marine, even though he was a farm boy, he could work harder than probably I could when I was a teenager. But when he was sitting down, he was a gentle man. And I just enjoyed that. It was, it was attractive to be able to, when I was younger, crawl up on his lap and just sit and chat with him and have him tell stories. And why? Because he was gentle. What else is true of heavenly wisdom? It's easy to be entreated. That means that it's easily persuadable when biblical truth is not involved. It could, it's the idea of, I could be wrong, but. It's easily, easy to be entreated. It means to be approachable. What else? It's full of mercy and good fruits. Again, we know what mercy is, right? It is, uh, it is not getting what we deserve. You may have been wronged, but to respond in mercy shows that you are living a life that is characterized by heavenly wisdom. On top of that, it's also without partiality. It's unwavering or not swayed by circumstances. It doesn't, it's not wishy-washy, it doesn't change without whim, uh, on a whim. On top of that, it's without hypocrisy. That means that it's, it's sincere, without pretense. It's the same yesterday, and it's the same today, and it'll be the same tomorrow. It doesn't change. That is the attributes of heavenly wisdom. Does that characterize your life and your choices? What is the source? Again, as I mentioned, it's from above. The wisdom that is from above. Have you ever watched and studied and learned from the Savior? He was all of those. He was kind. He was gentle. He was pure. He didn't show partiality. He wasn't one, he wasn't, he wasn't one person with one group and another person with another. Why? Because he had wisdom from above. It was heavenly wisdom. What does heavenly wisdom yield? And that's where we pick up in verse 18. It says, The fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. A harvest of righteousness will come about because a person is living heavenly wisdom. Again, how many of us don't want these things to characterize our decisions or way of life? A part of wisdom is being able to assess the consequences of our actions. If I choose A, then B will result the Christian walk is no different. If my choice is based on my feelings, if my choice is based on what I can just merely see around me, that's when it's very, very dangerous to make a decision without consulting the Lord and without getting wisdom from above. So to wrap this up, his advice was simple but brilliant, and he is credited with saving countless, countless lives during World War II. Abraham Wald was a Hungarian Jew that emigrated to the US right before Hitler took over, and he was a statistician and a mathematics professor. And after the the war began, he was tasked with overcoming a serious problem. The United States was losing bombers and their crews faster than they could repair or replace the bombers. They needed to implement some sort of way to protect, and the way that the engineers came up, or the thing that engineers came up with was reinforcement. Uh, armor was going to be placed on the airplane. The problem was that armor is heavy. And so they had to figure out where they were gonna place the armor. So instead of reinforcing the whole aircraft, the engineers had to be selective. So they put together a a group of individuals, a group of engineers who studied and interviewed those who came back from uh, the battles. And data was compiled from pilots and the repair crews of the planes that returned riddled with bullets. After several patterns were observed, a proposal was made uh, to protect the areas most hit with the bullets. That makes logical sense, right? It seemed to make logical sense. And this proposal was made made and then came across uh, Wald's desk. After poring over the data for a while, he completely disagreed with the proposal to protect the areas most hit on returning planes. In fact, he even came out and accused the engineers of something he called survivorship bias. And that's what he goes down in history as as being known for. He urged them to realize that data from returning planes equally gave opposite data on on the planes that were shot down, even though they didn't have that in writing. See, if they made their proposal based on returning planes damaged, they would have left unprotected the areas of the plane that allowed the plane to return from that combat. Things like the engine, the cockpit, and the fuel tanks. If these areas got hit, the plane would not be able to fly, and so he proposed to place the armor in the areas least hit so as to protect the plane's ability to keep on flying. The stroke of wisdom has been heralded countless times for its simplicity, but also for its brilliance. Vald, through data and mathematics, stood against the wisdom of the day, and he protected countless lives. But more importantly, I wonder, are we living a life of wisdom? I might ask, what kind of wisdom is your decisions bearing out? I couldn't help but think about the spiritual side of things when I read about Abraham Vault. And I began to wonder, am I being a wise person? It's so easy to get life wrong. How do I know if I am manifesting true wisdom? And James lays that out for us when he encourages us to seek godly, heavenly wisdom very quickly you may say how do I do that well the first thing you need to do is you need to make sure that you're saved for an unsaved person they are not wise and they will not be able to implement heavenly wisdom why because they are wrapped up in the earth earthly wisdom sensual wisdom but for those of us who are believers can I ask you what is your wisdom what is your decision making paradigms where is it coming from And then can I also encourage you, James chapter 1, verse 5, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and here's a wonderful promise, it shall be given to him.